Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swartz, and today is the Feast of Corpus Christi. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who in this wonderful sacrament have left us a memorial of your passion, grant us, we pray, so to revere the sacred mysteries of your body and blood, that we may always experience in ourselves the fruits of your redemption, who live and reign with God the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, for ever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Exodus. Moses went and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. In answer, all the people said with one voice, We will observe all the commands that the Lord has decreed. Moses put all the commands of the Lord into writing. And early next morning he built an altar at the foot of the mountain, with twelve standing stones for twelve tribes of Israel. Then he directed certain young Israelites to offer holocausts and to emulate bullocks to the Lord as communion sacrifices. Half of the blood Moses took up and put into basins. The other half he cast on the altar. And taking the book of the covenant, he read it to the listening people. And they said, We will observe all that the Lord has decreed. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood and cast it towards the people. This, he said, is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you, containing all these rules. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. How can I repay the Lord for his goodness to me? The cup of salvation I will raise. I will call on the Lord's name. I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. O precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his faithful. Your servant, Lord, your servant am I. You have loosened my bonds. I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. A thanksgiving sacrifice I make. I will call on the Lord's name. My vows to the Lord I will fulfill before all his people. I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Hebrews. Now Christ has come as the high priest of all the blessings which were to come. He has passed through the greater, the more perfect tent, which is better than the one made by men's hands, because it is not of this created order. And he has entered the sanctuary once and for all, taking with him not the blood of goats and bull calves, but his own blood, having won an eternal redemption for us. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer are sprinkled on those who have incurred defilement, and they restore the holiness of their outward lives. How much more effectively the blood of Christ, who offered himself as the perfect sacrifice to God through the eternal spirit, can purify our inner self from dead actions, so that we do our service to the living God. He brings a new covenant as the mediator, only so that the people who are called to an eternal inheritance may actually receive what was promised. 
His death took place to cancel the sins that infringed the earlier covenant. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. I am the living bread from heaven, says the Lord. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, his disciples said to Jesus, Where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the city, and you will meet a man carrying a pitcher of Go into the city, and you will meet a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him, and say to the owner of the house which he enters, The master says, Where is my dining room in which I can eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room furnished with couches, all prepared. Make the preparations for us there. The disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them and prepared the Passover. And as they were eating, he took some bread and when he had said the blessing, he broke it and gave it to them. Take it, he said, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had returned thanks, he gave it to them and all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is to be poured out for many. I tell you solemnly, I shall not drink any more wine until the day I drink the new wine in the kingdom of God. After psalms had been sung, they left for the Mount of Olives. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how often I've said it over the past you know, few months, but do you look around, you look at the news and you see what COVID's done to so many countries, you know, particularly, you know, sort of the poor and developing countries. And I just look around and think, oh, my goodness, we are in a lucky country. And I'm in South Australia and, you know, I look at, you know, a couple of the other states like Victoria and New South Wales and think, oh, my gosh, I'm actually in a lucky state, too. But it's not just since COVID that uh, we Australians have called ourselves the lucky country. Um, But I've wondered if it's maybe a bit of a misnomer. I think it's more than just sheer chance that marks our history. There's also God's great providential hand that's at work. I think think we're a blessed country. But there's a shadow side to this, however. uh, And that's a certain complacency that we can get with regard to the tremendous blessings that we receive. We live in a free country, a near COVID-free country, a country that doesn't suffer under the weight of corruption the way that a lot of our neighbours do. We're prosperous, we're educated, we've got world-class healthcare, even under COVID, and for the most part, it's accessible by the whole population. And we, as Catholics and Christians, we aren't openly persecuted. And we're free to practice our faith. I suppose the shadow side of all this prosperity is that we can take it for granted. It's human nature, I suppose, that when something doesn't cost us terribly much, we tend not to value it terribly much either. 
If things come easily, we tend not to place too much worth on them. It's a risk for us in the church that we adopt a similar kind of attitude. Since it doesn't cost us much blood, sweat or tears, I wonder if sometimes we become a little bit complacent with the Eucharist. You know, it's funny, when all the lockdowns started uh, last year and, you know, churches were closed and we were prevented from going to Mass on Sundays, I wondered what kind of impact this would have on the church. Having the Eucharist, something that wasn't quite as available to us as it was before, would it make us more hungry for it? Or would it make us think we could get on without it? Um, And I think it's probably done a little bit of both, to be frank. Um, For many, there was a a real yearning to get back to Mass. And the Eucharist, you know, we could sit and listen to podcasts and, and, you know, we could watch online streaming. um, but, But, gee, there was something missing. But I think the danger has has also been that, um, you know, I don't mind sort of watching a live stream on my laptop. I can lie in bed with my laptop on my belly and a cup of coffee in my hands. I can keep my Ugg boots on and uh, if the homily's not much chop, I can just skip it. I wonder for how many of us. Online streaming's just become a bit of an alternative. And I wonder for how many of us just going to Mass on Sundays became a habit that we fell out of. I don't know. I think for many, the lockdowns were a really hard time when we were deprived of the sacraments. But, you know, I wonder for others if maybe online streaming actually made church just a lot more convenient and something that's much easier to take for granted now too. I hope I'm wrong, though. I hope that the COVID pandemic has really amped up within us a a sense of the importance of the Eucharist and receiving Holy Communion. Maybe we can all dig down into our own experience and see that, you know, the Eucharist is in fact something worth struggling for because it's so precious. But, you know, we're not the first to have this difficulty. We're not the first to have to really struggle and strive in order to celebrate the Mass. With that in mind, I want to read out a testimony from a Vietnamese bishop. In 1975, Francis Xavier Van Thun was appointed by Pope Paul VI to be the Archbishop of Saigon. Five days later, Saigon fell to the Communist North Vietnamese Army. The Archbishop was arrested and was accused of conspiring with the Vatican against the communist regime. Van Thun spent the next 13 years in a communist prison, nine of which were in total solitary confinement in a tiny, wet cell. His faith came at an extremely high cost. Talk about lockdown. So I want to share with you what he says about the Eucharist. He said this, When I was arrested, I had to leave immediately with empty hands. The next day, I was allowed to request in writing the things I needed most. Clothes, toothpaste. I wrote to my addressee, Could you please send me a bit of medicine for my bad stomach? The faithful understood 
what I meant, and they sent me a little bottle of wine for mass, which they labelled stomach medicine, as well as some hosts sealed in a flashlight to protect them from the humidity. I will never be able to express my immense joy. Every day, with three drops of wine and one drop of water in the palm of my hand, I celebrated Mass. What an incredible witness. Now, there's a chapel in Rome where there's a fresco of Cardinal Van Thun in prison on his knees and with his hands raised to heaven and his palms facing up. This is him celebrating Mass. The time when he wasn't in solitary confinement, Cardinal Van Thun would place the Eucharist in a little container and it would be passed to other Catholics in the camp. This is what the Cardinal recalls. He said this, During our break, I and my Catholic companions took advantage of the opportunity to pass to each other the little container that held the Blessed Sacrament. They all knew that Jesus was among them. He who could heal all their physical and mental suffering. At night, the prisoners took turns for adoration. Jesus helped us in a tremendous way with his silent presence. Many Christians regained the fervour of their faith during those days, and Buddhists and other non-Christians converted. The strength of Jesus' love is irresistible. The darkness of prison became light. The seed germinated underground during the storm. Now, clearly, Cardinal Van Thun's a saint. And, in fact, the process is underway for him to be beatified and then hopefully also canonised. But what we start to discover through the life of the Cardinal is the tremendous value of the Eucharist. Because it is Christ with us. In the rough and tumble of everyday life, we can become deaf to that incredible reality. Distractions and preoccupations, they invade our minds, and we don't consider the great gift that we're receiving in Holy Communion. And, you know, I know what it's like lining up for Holy Communion. Slowly shuffling forward, thinking, I wonder what the footy score is by now. That woman in front of me is wearing too much perfume. When I get home, I've got to clean the gutters. Well, before you know it, You've got to the front, you've said amen, you're back in your pew, and you're already hearing the parish notices, while you're thinking, why does all this have to take so long? (laughs) Well, I think Cardinal Van Thun reminds us of the incredible value of the Eucharist. If only we allow ourselves to dwell on this incredible gift. The Eucharist isn't us running away from the everyday. It's not an escape. No, this is Christ entering into our everyday lives. This is Jesus coming into our prisons. The incredible comfort that Van Thun got from the Eucharist wasn't that the Eucharist got him out of jail, but that the Eucharist was Christ dwelling with him in prison. Van Thun knew how precious this presence of Christ was, because everything else around him was so appallingly dehumanising. The hate in the eyes of the communists didn't tell the full story, because in the midst of such horror was Jesus, once again willing to enter into our suffering and remain with us, to love us and nourish us into eternal life.
Now, we're in the lucky country. We're in the blessed country. We don't have such a contrast of hatred and violence. And so it's easy for us to lose sight of the importance of Christ in the Eucharist. Our Lord Jesus with us. And we can sometimes miss the most precious and important things in our life precisely because they aren't threatened. We can become complacent about the great gift of the Eucharist because no one's trying to take it away from us. That's why I think we in the lucky country, we in the blessed country, we also face a little bit of a temptation, a bit of a risk. What if our hearts grow cold? What if our minds become distracted? What if our lives become distant from the true reality of what's happening in the Eucharist? Look, I'll be honest with you. It's easy to do. It seems to me that perhaps a good little antidote to this problem is reverence. To become intentional once more about our outward signs of Christ's presence in the Eucharist. To genuflect in sincerity. To receive Holy Communion with true devotion and heartfelt love. To recognise Christ's holy presence during the Mass and in the church in the tabernacle. Make a visit to the church during the week just for some quiet prayer, because that's where Jesus is. I know a lot of people make the sign of the cross in the car as they're driving past a church, knowing that Jesus is inside. We have the Eucharist among us. My goodness, we are the lucky country. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.